You do have notes in your uh, bulletin today, so if you want to follow along there uh, and fill in the blanks, if that helps you, that's fine. Again, we're in Numbers, which is in the Old Testament, chapter 12, and we'll be looking at some passages there. Actually, it's the entire chapter. We'll look over that one today. One of the most revered people, but let's go to the New Testament for a moment here. One of the most revered people in the Bible, just short, just shy of Jesus, the Son of God himself, was actually his mother, Mary. In fact, she even sang it in a song that people would look at her and, and, uh, uh, and she would be bl- and call her blessed. But people have painted paintings. People have seen her face in toast as well. They've made statues. And some religions even go so far in their reverence of her as to pray to her. You and I know, however... Mary was a real human being who God's angel called highly favored and was given the great honor of giving birth and raising the Messiah. And not to distract from my introduction this morning, but scripture clearly teaches that Jesus is our intercessor, not his mama. Okay, just want to make that clear this morning. But alas, Mary, the mother of Jesus, was very humble. She was given this great task, and yet she carried on with her motherly and wifely duties. We make educated guesses about how kind of, how, what kind of wealth she did or did not have. And it seems that the labor of her husband, Joseph, would have just supported their family. And that's about all that we know. Does Mary have a backstory? Yes, but her backstory isn't about her per se. Uh, It's about her namesake, or rather, she's the namesake of someone else. That's right. Mary is a name derived from the Old Testament person known as Miriam, the sister of Moses and Aaron. Before we jump into Miriam, let's just recap. So, Mary, mother of Jesus, was named after Miriam. Mary was very humble. But the person she was, she was named after, not so much. Miriam had a rough experience, and we will talk about that experience today. And that experience was one in which she was humbled. It reminds me of the passage in Matthew, chapter 23, verse 12. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Let's read... And look at these verses together today. Starting at verse 1, chapter 12, verse 1 of the book of Numbers. Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses? They asked. Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. At once, the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, Come out to the tent of meeting, all three of you. So the three of them came out. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud. He stood at the entrance to the tent, uh, the entrance to the tent, and summoned Aaron and Miriam. When both of them were them stepped forward, he said, Listen to my words. When a prophet of the Lord is among you, I reveal myself to him in visions. 
I speak to him in dreams, but this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak face to face, clearly, and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? The anger of the Lord burned against them, and he left them. When the cloud lifted from the t- above the tent, there stood Miriam, leprous, like snow. Aaron turned toward her and saw that she had leprosy. And he said to Moses, Please, my Lord, do not hold against us the sin we have so foolishly committed. Do not let her be like a stillborn infant coming from its mother's womb with its flesh half eaten away. So Moses cried out to the Lord, Oh God, please heal her. The Lord replied to Moses, If her father had spit in her face, would she not have been in disgrace for seven days? Confine her outside the camp for seven days. After that, she can be brought back. So Miriam was confined outside the camp for seven days, and the people did not move on till she was brought back. After that, the people left Hazaroth and encamped in the desert of Paran. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, every good story that you've probably ever read, and if it doesn't have these elements, you probably have read a poor story, but every good story gives us some things, characters. It gives us some conflict. It gives us some tension, which conflict and tension kind of um, coexist a little bit. And then it hopefully hints at resolution and hopefully that resolution that we as the reader or listener desire. We see in these 16 verses all of these essential things, and I want to walk through that right now. You see, what we have in the characters in conflict area is we have some grumbling and plotting. The characters in conflict come by identifying Aaron and Miriam. It sets up the major conflict, which is a power play. On the, on the account of Moses having a wife they disapprove of, they wanted to usurp his leadership or at least make the case that they are of equal position to him. This is, a, this is not a very humbling thing to, or it's not a very humble thing to say, is it? No. We see every time that something happens in this passage, it's Aaron and Miriam together. Not one saying this and one agreeing with them, them together. They are unified in what they are pursuing. Together they are smack-talking Moses and attempting to elevate themselves. The context of the passage gives us this note. Moses was the most humble person alive. Clearly, no one, especially not his siblings, were more humble than him. They were not even on his level. So that's some of the the characters we learn about their conflict to begin with. And then we get a little bit of the confrontation. Brings us, this next part brings us some tension and, and a big confrontation. Interestingly enough, though, that confrontation is not between Moses and his siblings. It's actually between God and Aaron and Miriam. In this tension, God confronts Miriam and Aaron, and he literally calls them out. God spoke to all three of them. And I wondered... Did they hear an audible voice? 
Did they each hear a still small voice in their heart telling them what to do, like at the same time? Scripture isn't clear as to what volume level the voice was. All we know is God spoke to all three of them and they all obeyed and they all came to the entrance of the tent of meeting. They all heard it and they all obeyed. And then God himself in a pillar of cloud came down and stood at the entrance of the tent. So I want you to, for our context, picture this. Moses, Miriam, and Aaron, they're all out. Their houses around the neighborhood. God talks to them simultaneously is what I'm picturing. And they all meet at the front of our church in the lawn, okay? And then that entrance right there, that entrance way with the brown awning, God comes down in a pillar of cloud. And now he beckons Aaron and Miriam into the pillar of cloud. That seems a bit scary. Well, in verses six through eight, God calls out Aaron and Miriam and tells them the difference between other prophets that they've, they know of and Moses. He says, God's relationship with Moses is closer than anyone else. Where God would give other prophets dreams, vague generalities and symbolism, something they have to interpret, he would directly tell Moses things without any room for interpretation. Moses, yes, God, here's what I want you to do. Do what I want you to do. Do it. Here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I want you to do. Do the thing. God lays it all out for them so they understand the gravity of what they did in grumbling against Moses. God says, Moses and I are very close. Why would you suggest a coup d'etat? That was a very wrong move. And so with this confrontation, we get some consequences, right? In verses 9 through 10, there's an immediate consequence. Aaron looks up at Miriam after the cloud leaves them and God's presence leaves them. And Aaron looks up at Miriam and sees she has a skin disease that has turned her as white as snow. Uh, if you're wondering, and I did some, some medical research on this, and there's some, it's not the same word uh, for leprosy that we know as Hansen's disease, not specifically anyway. It is, though, however, the same exact uh, description, white as snow, as is used when God has Moses put his hand into his cloak, pull his hand back out. Oh, it's a leprous hand. It's as white as snow. It puts it back in, pops it back out, and it's fine. The words there are the same. Um, later on in translations, um, they, the word leprosy actually meant uh, just a general term for skin disease. Uh, my footnote said that. I don't know if you have footnotes in your Bible that say that. But again, not necessarily the exact same disease as we would know as Hansen's disease. Um, at least in this passage and Moses's, we get this observational description of the illness. Sometimes in scripture, it just says, so-and-so was a leper. So-and-so had leprosy without any description of what that leprosy looked like. The interesting thing we have between these two passages, we have visual description. So we can match it up with some other sort of skin disease we would know about. So that's really cool information. And it kind of nails it down for us of what they were experiencing in the moment. So Miriam is stricken with this skin disease, but not Aaron. And isn't that interesting? Maybe you would look at that and think that's unfair. That's not cool. 
Well, the pulpit commentary had the following reasons why Miriam and not Aaron got stricken with a skin disease. And then I'll give you my opinion on these things. They said that, um, number one, that they thought he was not the leader of the mischief, but only led into it through weakness. Two, he was like many weak men of an affectionate disposition. Obviously, I'm reading somebody else's writings, not how I would phrase it. And suffered his own punishment in witnessing that of others. And three, he was God's high priest and the office would have shared in his disgrace of the man. Okay, so here's my reflection on these three things. First, in this passage, we don't know. The scripture doesn't clearly state who instigated the coup. Like I said earlier, every time we hear them doing something, it's Aaron and Miriam together. Not Miriam gets Aaron, hey, hey, Aaron, I really think we should do this. It's not clear in this passage, so I'm not really sure why they would insinuate that. Um, And it seems the blame was even, even if the punishment didn't seem to be so. The second item in this list I wholeheartedly agree with. Aaron had to watch the suffering of his dearly loved sister. And it wasn't just physical illness, that's bad enough, but what the illness meant to her relationship with the community as we will talk with, about here in a few minutes of what that looks like. And this last one, that God withholds punishment for the sake of the priestly office, I, it hasn't been my experience. Um, maybe, but maybe they are on to something. Aaron's job as part of being the priest was to identify what was clean and unclean. Uh, even so much as like if a cloth was moldy, he'd have to declare it unclean. Uh, and a person and tell people what to do. It was part of his job description. So, but also, kind of going back to watching the suffering, uh, he would have to be the one to declare her unclean, to tell people, hey, she needs to go out of camp, which we'll talk about here in a moment. So part of that is his job. So beyond leprosy, the anger of the Lord burned against them and his presence left them. And it left them in a pretty sad place to be in. And then we get the cries for mercy. Aaron cries out for mercy. And we get a hint of the resolution in this story. Aaron's prayers will be answered because, of course, he cried out and Miriam will be healed and all that jazz, right? Because anytime we cry out for mercy, anytime we ask God for something, we're going to get it because we're really sincerely sorry and sad. And he, and he Can you sense the sarcasm? And he's pleading, and his pleading gets the attention of Moses. Moses, please don't hold this against us. Sorry. And Moses promptly, without even hesitating, he asks the Lord for healing for Miriam. And what we have here is an interesting picture. We have a picture of intercession. Because Aaron goes to Moses now because his connection between God and him is broken down. He goes to Moses and asks for forgiveness and, or he asks for this to, to not happen to her. And then Moses in turn intercedes. He pleads on Miriam's behalf. And God, interestingly enough, did not make an exception for Miriam. You know, he doesn't say, okay, Miriam, this is your warning, but if you grumble again, if you decide to, to form another power play, it's going to be two weeks confined outside a camp. No, she still had a consequence. And her brother had the consequence of seeing her in that state. 
And then there's this part in here that's really, really gross. So I hope you're listening. It's another one of the gross things in the story. If a father spits on his daughter, isn't she unclean? How would you like it if I spat at you? Would you enjoy that? I wouldn't like doing that. That's gross. I mean, God, super gross. Come on. But it's true. Here, God makes a true but strange analogy. If something out of her control would make her unclean, she would still have the same consequence. Okay, you're unclean. It wasn't your fault that somebody spat at you or blew their nose in your direction and made you unclean, but you still got to hang outside of camp for seven days. The analogy is that was out of her control. But look at Miriam. It was not out of her control what she did. And so wouldn't it have, why would it be even more fair for her to not have consequences? She needs to have these consequences because she actually did the thing that made her unclean. So Miriam had to remain cut off from the community for a week. One question I had in this passage as I was reading along Was she ever healed at any point? Poof, leprosy gone. Poof, her skin's back to normal. It's possible that her skin had turned and remained completely snow white. It is possible. One source I found determined that when the skin disease didn't spread anymore, as if the skin had completely changed color into that white color, the person was able to be declared clean. If, if you're following with me, it's because there's no more spread of that discoloration. And so they were able to be called clean. We aren't told in this passage, or the one that even follows, if she was physically restored. But she was relationally restored. After being confined outside of the camp for seven days, she was brought back. And verse 16 tells us that they, the people of Israel... They left Hazaroth and went and stayed in the desert of Paran. As we wrap things up, I wanted to start thinking about Miriam's name. Miriam. She was known for her leadership. She was known for her helping her brother, Moses, and her mother stay together after Pharaoh's daughter had adopted him. And unfortunately, she is also known for this coup. She wasn't humble, but she was humbled. Miriam, what does that name even mean? Many Hebrew scholars derive her name from a few words here, from the verb marar, meaning to be strong or bitter, and can be used to describe tastes or smells and hard or difficult times. And then another verb, mara, means to be contentious or rebellious, particularly against God. The noun form of this, marai, means rebellion. So she was not humble, not even close. And one brother begging for forgiveness and the other for healing And Miriam, Aaron, and by extension, the children of Israel learned a very important lesson that week. Actions have consequences. Words and grumblings have consequences. 
They don't go away just because you say you're sorry. Relationships don't just go back to normal after trust has been broken. Miriam was confined outside of the camp for one whole week. She was bitter and rebellious. And God stopped any further actual rebellion by dealing with it there and then. But even though all of this humbling, through all of this humbling, she still was a great leader in the faith. So much so that many, many, many generations down the line, parents would look back and look at her name and name their daughters after her. And suddenly we would have Mary on the scene. Young girl, visited by an angel, chosen by God to bear the Savior of the world, tasked with nurturing and loving him, teaching him about the faith of his ancestors, and I would imagine, much like Moses was taught by his birth mother before he went to live in Pharaoh's palace. Miriam's mistakes, hear this now, did not have to hinder Mary's choices. Mary chose and accepted humility over power and prestige. And the world was better for it. The question to you today, friend, is what will you choose? Will you let your past, the past of your ancestors, those who maybe you're named for, negatively impact your presence and possibly your future? Or will you pursue humility or will you be humbled? The choice is up to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us a choice. We thank you that we have a choice to love you or to withhold love. We have a choice to be humble or to be humbled. I pray that you would help us to have attitudes and behaviors of humility that we would be exalted in your due time and in your circumstances, and that that exaltation of us just reflects and magnifies back at you. It's not anything that we did on our own self to make our name great, but Lord, your name great. And much like Mary, Jesus, your mother, we want to be humble even in the amazing circumstances that you provide for us, the ways that you've interacted in our world that are just, make us feel so good about where you've put us, but we wanna stay humble, Lord. And so I pray that you would help us to be more like Mary and less like Miriam, knowing that our past does not, our backstory does not have to control the pathway of our life in our future and that we could focus in on being humble before you and understanding our right place before you as well. We love you, Jesus, today. We thank you. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. You're dismissed. Go in peace.